0: Aw oh, snap, it's another switch our In this week's bonus episode, David Flora Blurry Photos takes over our feed for his take on the lost cosmonauts. Make sure to check the description for links to all of David's crap, and tell him H-51 sent you.
1: Conditions growing worse. Why don't you answer? We're going slower. The world will never know about us. These are words attributed to a small team of Soviet-era spacecraft pilots, cosmonauts some of the last words received from them in an ill-fated orbital mission. And were it not for a pair of Italian brothers with a fascination in ham radio, the world might not know about these doomed pilots, nor several others. For while the world sat spellbound by the technological display of the Soviet-U.S. space race, apparently we were all of us deceived. The Soviets had a much more commanding lead on getting people in space than they led on. But getting them back down from space. Well, one out of two ain't bad. Yuri Gagarin holds the distinction of being the first person in space, but perhaps that should be amended to the first person to return from space alive. Failure was not an option for the Soviet space program, and any mission not executed perfectly was wiped from history, which is why eyes began squinting when whispered names of vanished pilots creeped into the public, rumors of doctored photographs erasing whole people from history started appearing, and mysterious recordings purported to be the last moments of some brave but frightened people's lives have washed up on the shore of the Internet. Not only was Gagarin not the first in space, he was not the first by a long shot, yet good publicity was more important than the lives of those before him. And now, Floating in a monotonous orbit, or drifting further and further from the planet, the bodies of the forgotten remain in their state-of-the-art capsules, forever doomed to obscurity. At least, that's what the conspiracy states. A conspiracy that points to both audio and visual evidence of a massive cover-up. A conspiracy that relies on over 25 years of tight-lipped secrecy from dozens to hundreds of people. And a conspiracy that smartly asks, Do you really trust what the Soviet government told you in the 60s? We're searching for lost cosmonauts on this episode of Blurry Photos. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, David Flora. Hey, welcome to the show. Quick reminder, I have a live show on Sunday, February 25th at 8pm at the Beat Kitchen here in Chicago. You can find tickets at chicagopodcastfestival.org showcases. I'll also put a link up on the Blurry Photos Facebook page and all that good stuff. And if you have any questions about it, feel free to drop me a line. Otherwise, hope to see you there. Also, Blurry Photos now has an Instagram account. So, if you are on Instagram, be sure to follow me there at Blurry Photos Podcast. I will try to get more savvy with that as we go along. So, now when people are like, oh my God, are you on Insta? I can be like, yeah, totally on Insta. Feel pretty good about it. The topic for this show is fascinating, not just for the eeriness conjured up by the danger and the secrecy and supposed evidence of the subject matter, but also because it has existed since the space race began. Rumors of lost cosmonauts and Soviet space program propaganda have floated around the public for decades, and new information has trickled out through the years to keep the conspiracy fresh. In this episode, I'll be taking a look at the lost cosmonaut conspiracy theory, including the stories of missions gone wrong, chilling audio recordings said to be from the missions, and some claims surrounding Yuri Gagarin being the first man in space, and also some of the cover-ups that are said to have happened. I'll discuss what folks have found when they look into this subject closely, and what claims, if any, have stood up to scrutiny. Fair warning, there are some disturbing details I'll be covering throughout the show, and some listeners may find the audio clips and some of the information disturbing, so I'll try to warn you before getting too graphic. With that said, to quote Yuri Gagarin, Poyakale! Sputnik 1, or Satellite 1, achieved orbit on October 4, 1957. The Soviet Union's accomplishment kicked off a new chapter in the Cold War, a competition for technological superiority between the U.S. and the U.S.S.R. The Space Race.
2: Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour. to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy,
3: but because they are hard.
1: It peaked in 1969, with the U.S. successfully landing men on the moon, and the USSR failing to replicate the feat. However, by then the Soviets had the distinction of putting not only the first artificial satellite into space, it also put the first man and woman up there as well.
2: Here is a special announcement. For the
3: first time in history, a woman has gone up into outer space.
1: During this time, the world waited in anticipation for the next huge breakthrough in flight, the next exciting news of what mankind had accomplished. About six months after learning of Sputnik's success, news broke that the Russians had sent a man to fly it up 186 miles. Now conventionally, space starts at around 62 miles up so that's three times the distance the Soviets got up there. However, this was apparently reported based on a fictional radio show in Moscow, not true in the least. Still, many people around the world believed it, whether out of paranoia or trust that that was the next step in spaceflight. With the announcement of Gagarin's successful orbit of the Earth on April 12, 1961, the Soviet Union solidified its lead against the US in the space race. Gagarin, already an accomplished Air Force pilot, became an instant legend and international celebrity, earning his nation's top honor of Hero of the Soviet Union. Up to that point, it was speculation and tests by both countries for what the other was doing and what was possible. Many trials, but no errors, not for the Soviet Union, of course. Their science perfect test perfect. Look at America, with dumb failures and unsuccessful rockets. <laughs> but their stories weren't exactly airtight. In fact, information was said to have leaked back in 1959, which painted a much darker picture than the perfect record the Soviets presented to the world. In December of that year, an Italian news agency named Continentale reported that several cosmonauts had met their fates in some unofficial suborbital flights. The agency had apparently gotten word of this from a, quote, high-ranking Czech communist. The cosmonauts were even named Alexei Lidovsky, Andrei Mitkov, Sergei Shiborin, and Maria Gromova. Not an auspicious follow-up to Sputnik's success. Later in 1960, the sci-fi author Robert Heinlein had a chance encounter with some Red Army cadets while he was in Lithuania. According to an article he wrote, the cadets told him of a manned orbital launch that had taken place that day, which had mechanical failure causing it to be stuck in space. This was met with denial from Soviet officials and subsequently claimed to be a test dummy that had been sent up. These cover ups had relatively high profile claimants, as opposed to claims from just some jackass sitting in a bunker closely following the space race. But nothing made quite the conspiracy splash like some Italian jackasses sitting in a bunker closely following the space race. Enter the Judica Cordiglia brothers, who actually weren't total jackasses at all, but intelligent and curious, if a bit mischievous, radio enthusiasts. Achille and Giovanni Battista Judica Cordiglia were both in their 20s when Sputnik launched, and their interest in radio compelled them to scrounge together equipment to see if they could pick up Sputnik's transmissions. They were apparently successful, which bolstered their curiosity, and they eventually purchased an old German World War II bunker on the outskirts of Turin, Italy, and called it Torre Bert. Torre for tower, Bert for Via Bertalazona, the name of a nursing home. They shoved every piece of radio equipment they could beg, borrow, or buy into it. Over the next four years, they listened and recorded several signals they claimed were from Soviet space missions. They released nine recordings and told the world what they had allegedly found, which was in direct opposition to what the Soviet state claimed. The following is a small sample of their recordings. Again, fair warning, a couple might be a little disturbing to some listeners. In late 1960, the brothers said they had intercepted an SOS from a craft in orbit. According to them, after tracking the signal for an hour, a Doppler effect Present in the signal indicated to them that a craft had broken its orbit and was moving farther and farther away from Earth. An SOS Satuto el Mundo, or SOS for the whole world, was the signal they were receiving. The brothers claimed an official announcement by the Soviets a couple days later acknowledged the loss of a spacecraft, but that it was definitely unmanned. In February of 1961, they picked up the chilling sound of what was interpreted to be someone in space suffocating to death. Supporting that claim was another audio clip from the same flight, which was interpreted as a failing heartbeat. In May of 1961, just a month after Gagarin's successful mission, two men and a woman were overheard saying in Russian, conditions growing worse, why don't you answer, we are going slower, the world will never know about us. And not a month after that, they picked up what has become perhaps their most famous piece of audio, a woman's voice communicating with mission control just before cutting out.
2: and that's the only city I mean,
1: The translation offered by the brothers was something along the lines of, Come in. Talk to me. I am hot. Isn't this dangerous? Talk to me. Our transmission begins now. I can see a flame. Am I going to crash? I feel hot. I will re-enter. It was assumed the signal was lost as the craft burned up in the atmosphere. As the recordings were released and the stories heard in Italy, the brothers became rather famous. Even the Washington Post and Reader's Digest picked up their stories, which no doubt had a hand in propelling the conspiracy that Soviets were covering up atrocities in order to save appearances. In addition to those recordings, the brothers also claimed to have observed a capsule orbiting the Earth three times just a few days before Gagarin's flight, another couple crafts losing control and drifting off into space, and more crafts burning up on re-entry. It went on into 1965, when Radio Moscow finally issued a statement saying the recordings were a lie and no cosmonaut had been lost. To which everyone no doubt sighed collectively and said, thank goodness Russian state-run media cleared that one up for us.
2: Девцам не стареть Если все придумали до конца до тех в дальний путь собрались мы А в этот край заёжный Только самолётом можно долететь А ты летаешь и вдаль самолёт Девцам в своём впереди Под крылом самолёта о чём-то поёт Велёное море сойти
1: In the midst of this Italian job, there came another angle to the cover-up in the form of a report by Dennis Ogden, a correspondent of the British communist paper The Daily Worker. Three days before Gagarin launched, Ogden wrote that a man had been shot into space and had come back deranged but alive. He was apparently hidden away while he recuperated. The prodigal cosmonaut was actually a neighbor of Ogden's, Lieutenant Colonel Vladimir Sergeyevich Ilyushin, a prominent and popular Soviet test pilot. The stars were aligned for Ilyushin to be the first man in space. He was well-respected, had family ties to the government, was friends with Khrushchev, but apparently he didn't like the fact that the flight would be automated and no kind of challenge for him. He got over the idea and was said to have launched five days before Gagarin's flight, orbiting three times, but upon re-entry he blacked out and crashed somewhere in western China. He was then captured and held for a year before his return to Russia. The story would have been devastatingly embarrassing for the USSR, which is why some people believe they covered it up, saying instead that Gagarin had made a successful orbit, and Nelushin had injured his legs in an unrelated car accident and was sent to Hangzhou, China for eastern medical rehabilitation. Some even go so far as to say Gagarin never actually made the flight, but was driven out to Ilyushin's landing site or to a faked one closer to home, and posed as if that flight had been his all along and he had returned safe and sound. Hence, Ilyushin was the first official man in space, but Gagarin was the face the Soviets gave that distinction to. In 1999, Khrushchev's son Sergei claimed the Ilyushin story was actually true, Ilyushin died in 2010, apparently never denying any cover-up.
3: Yuri Gagarin, Yuri Gagarin, вас. Hail to the hero of the cosmos. It was an unforgettable day. At Vnukova Airport in Moscow, Communist Party and Soviet government leaders and thousands of muscovites greet a true son of his country yuri gagarin there he is the soviet soldier who was the first man in history to take a trip into outer space comrade first secretary of the central committee of the soviet communist party and chairman of the council of ministers of the ussr i am glad to be able to report to you that the mission assigned me by the central committee and the government has been accomplished The first space flight in the world has been completed in the Soviet spaceship Vostok, April 12th, 1961. I feel quite well and am ready to fulfill any new assignment our party and government may have for me. Major Gagarin. Premier Khrushchev congratulates the hero. Moscow rejoices. The people of our capital hail Yuri Gagarin in a heartfelt reception.
1: One of the foremost experts on the early Soviet space program and the attached conspiracies is author and historian Jim Oberg. In his 1981 book, Red Star in Orbit, his first on the Soviet space program, he published some compelling photographs taken in the early 60s. Compelling because in a side-by-side comparison, someone was missing in one of them. One of the top six cosmonauts in line to fly a manned space mission after Gagarin had been erased from a photograph taken in 1961. The government was none too happy about being called out for this glaring censorship. However, the fun didn't stop there. There was another photograph from the same time showing 22 people, but official versions of the picture only show 16. And yet another photo from 1966 showed one of the backup cosmonauts airbrushed out when compared to the original. The identities of these forcibly forgotten men were sought for years, with speculation growing as to whether or not they had been erased because of some government bureaucracy issue, or because they were floating somewhere in the emptiness of space, never to be heard from again. This topic is one where the truth might just be at least as strange as the fiction. Let's go back through these claims and ask some questions. The Continentale reports about the missing cosmonauts in 1959 were exclusive to that agency, cited no sources for confirmation, and never named the high-ranking Czech communist. Which is fine if he's a spy, but the four cosmonauts named... a bit troublesome to prove. There are rumors of a secret group of pre-space age pilots assembled to execute quote-unquote urgent tasks of the Soviet government, but nothing really fed those rumors, and at the time the program was only seeking men when one of the four was a woman. Perhaps more damning is that most all pilots selected to be cosmonauts were relatively well-known, if not famous, and these names weren't on anyone's list at the time. So, maybe the government did a great job erasing them. Okay, and the dozens and dozens of people who worked on it kept it quiet for 25 years, that's fine. I'm not too worried about this claim, especially with zero corroboration from an outside source, but perhaps more interesting evidence against this one comes in line with the Italian Recordings. The Judica Cordiglia brothers have met with a fair amount of skepticism over the years, notably from Jim Oberg. While it's not disputed that the brothers were a couple of smart cannolis, the veracity of their recordings has been called into question. Several of their claims revolved around a craft leaving Earth's orbit, doomed to float into oblivion. At that point, however, the Soviets didn't have the capability To leave orbit. It's not like stepping off of a moving treadmill, you have to have a lot of force to leave gravity. It's called escape velocity, and you need fuel to get your groove thing shaken fast enough to achieve it, which means you need some big-ass rockets. The Soviets were just not working with machinery big enough to lift much weight up and away from the Earth. Their Vostok rocket could only lift about 500 kilograms, which is around 1,100 pounds. Unless you're sitting in a big empty Coke can, that ain't getting you out of orbit. As for the heartbeats, I've read that this was not something the Soviets broadcast in their flights, at least on audio channels. Heart rate was actually converted to electrical signals and transmitted as numerical telemetry data. The story of the three person craft with the quote from the top of this episode is a little silly in light of the rocket size information. How are you going to get three people up there when you struggle to even get one person up with the rockets that you have at that time? And that audio from the supposed lady cosmonaut that may have burned up has pretty much been debunked as a fake, and here's why. Neither it nor the other recordings match the technical operations the Soviets used, in particular communication protocols of identifying themselves when speaking or using correct terminology. Moreover, it has several grammatical errors and poorly constructed sentences which a well-trained and educated Soviet pilot would not be making. A younger sister who was learning Russian at the time, however, might make such mistakes, Maria Teresa Judica Cordiglia, I'm looking at you. The brothers did pick up legit signals and recordings during their time at Torrey Burt. It's just that the ones they're famous for look like fakes. Skeptics have also been suspicious of them since their homemade tracking station picked up these signals that modern American and European tracking facilities didn't. Now, a one-off could be forgiven, but the brothers had, what, nine uncorroborated recordings? Well, maybe eight, as Bochum Observatory in Germany also picked up voice transmissions a month after Gagarin's flight, though they didn't match any sensational stuff the brothers reported, and Bochum determined they had originated on the ground. But compare this to the fact that U.S. facilities were able to track the booster that launched Gagarin, And a full-on list of stations tracked the August flight of German Titov's second human to orbit the Earth, and the first to vomit in space. The first woman in space was Valentina Tereshkova in 1963, and she did not die on re-entry. After Sputnik, the Soviet space program launched more Sputniks and began experimenting with mannequins and, unfortunately, dogs. From 1957 to 1961, all evidence points to them trying to perfect launches with these measures and it's often said they didn't take steps backwards in their efforts. Why fail with a person, then experiment with a mannequin or dog? Ogden the man who reported that Ilyushin was actually the first man in space, actually cobbled his story together from possible leads and suppositions, including chatter about the upcoming launch, and the fact that his neighbor, Ilyushin, was missing and said to be recovering from an injury somewhere. While suspicions were still high about the Soviet's full Gagarin story, again, nothing had been tracked prior to his launch, and Ogden was about the only source for the Aleutian story. Still, it's odd to have Sergei Khrushchev say it was true, and Aleutian to not deny it later. With the fall of the Iron Curtain and the political adoption of Glasnoist in the mid-80s, many things came to light in the more transparent government. Included in this were answers to the strange photographs with missing cosmonauts, the photo with the six minus one cosmonauts was determined to be missing Grigory Nelyubov, one of the top candidates for a manned flight. The story came out that he and two other cosmonaut trainees, Ivan Anikayev and Valentin Filatayev, got in a drunken brawl one night while on leave. Their CO told them to apologize to whom they had been fighting, and the egotistical Nelyubov was the only one to refuse. When the incident got higher up the chain of command, all three trainees were expelled from the program and any mention of them was covered up out of spite and embarrassment. In the other pictures, the reason for removal was much more mundane than being lost in space. Anatoly Kartashov was dismissed after having skin bleeding during a centrifuge run. Valentin Varlamov injured his neck while swimming and had to be dropped. Mars Rafikov left for personal reasons, and totally not because he was the only non-Slavic cosmonaut. And Dmitry Zaykin, who had to stay grounded due to ulcers. This is why they were airbrushed out of photos. That's the level of facade the Soviet Union wanted to put on in the Cold War. <laughs> The truth is, there wasn't a need to fabricate conspiracies of disaster. A few happened and were just as chilling. I'll relay a few stories now that some listeners might not want to hear, so go ahead and skip forward a few minutes if you're squeamish. One of the biggest perhaps the biggest disaster to befall a nation's space program, came in 1960, just six months before Gagarin made his flight. Under the direction of Artillery Marshal Mitrafan Nadalin, the Soviets began working on a new rocket, the R-16, designed to carry an ICBM with a rapid response time. Nadalin pushed his team to work faster, produce results sooner, and drove an unrealistic timeline for completion. It had the exact results you'd expect. When launch day came, numerous dignitaries, military personnel, and civilians were on hand, awaiting a triumph. What they got was delays from necessary repairs. Ignoring safety protocols, Nadalin himself went to the launch pad to literally get the thing off the ground. On October 24th, the second stage engine accidentally ignited, causing a massive explosion on the launch pad where some 250 people were gathered. Fire, chemicals, and toxic gases billowed out and engulfed onlookers. The blast was seen 50 kilometers, or 30 miles, away. Several military and scientific dignitaries were killed instantly, including Nadalin. The Soviet Union hastily moved to keep the disaster under wraps and shockingly did a pretty good job of it. It wasn't until the early 90s that the full scope of the event was known. Although state records set the death toll at 92, estimates have put the actual number closer to 122. In March of 1961, a cosmonaut trainee was lost in a freak accident. 24 year old Valentin Bondarenko was wrapping up his 10th day in a low pressure isolation chamber, part of his spaceflight training. The pressurized chamber was meant to mimic a Vostok flight, with a seat similar to the one used in the Vostok capsule, a metal bed, wooden table, toilet, open coil hot plate, and an atmosphere that was 68% oxygen. As he removed his biomedical sensors, he wiped the adhesive off with an alcohol-soaked cotton ball and tossed it on the table. Instead, it landed on the hot plate, which was heating a cup of tea. It ignited immediately. He tried to smother the flames with his sleeves, but due to the oxygen-rich environment, those two caught fire. He was engulfed in seconds. It took monitoring technicians almost 20 minutes to open the door due to the pressure difference all the while watching, in horror, at the scene inside the chamber. When they finally got him out and rushed him to a hospital, the traumatologist started an IV in the only place they could find blood vessels. His feet. His heavy flight boots had protected them. He was admitted under the name Sergei Fyvanov, and the doctors only inferred his importance via officials guarding his room and his death watch officer, Yuri Gagarin. He died 16 hours later, and the state hushed it up once again. That story didn't emerge until the 80s, which is a shame on several levels, not the least of which being knowledge of his death could have possibly helped prevent the somewhat similar deaths of the Apollo 1 astronauts in 1967, though NASA did know the hazards of such tests at the time. A couple more notable losses that led to rumors and questions include the death of Colonel Pyotr Dolgoff, who died in 1962 from an accident during a high-altitude parachute jump. He was never slated to be a cosmonaut, but his name has ended up on lost cosmonaut lists over the years. And finally, the sad death of Vladimir Komarov in 1967. Stories say that he crashed to Earth, cursing at Soviet officials and the Soyuz capsule he was in. He was supposed to pilot Soyuz 1 into orbit, then be joined by a crew of three and Soyuz 2, exchange places with two of them, and pilot Soyuz 2 back to Earth in a magnificent display of engineering and spaceflight. However, like the R-16, work was rushed and preparations were skipped. No one in the program thought the capsule was ready to fly, but no one wanted to tell the volatile Leo Brezhnev either. When it was suggested he back out of the mission, Komarov supposedly answered, If I don't make this flight, they'll send the backup pilot instead. That's Yura, he said, referring to his good friend Yuri Gagarin, and he'll die instead of me. We've got to take care of him. Gagarin and Komarov were indeed great friends, and it's said when launch day came, Gagarin showed up at the pad begging to pilot the craft instead, but Komarov refused. So many problems befell the capsule on launch, it's hard to list them, but he managed 17 orbits before it was decided to bring him home and cancel the mission. Unfortunately, one of the problems was a parachute failure. He supposedly was able to communicate with ground control and his wife, via a video call, to say his goodbyes just before his death. Gagarin was supposedly haunted after that, never the same up until his death in a jet training exercise in 1968. Even that carries conspiracies. But details of Komarov's account came out in the 1998 book Starman, The Truth Behind the Legend of Yuri Gagarin, by Jamie Duran and Piers Bozzoni. Fortunately, many of the details were most likely exaggerated. Historians have found archived transcripts of Komarov's final moments, which were calm and professional and ended in a loss of transmission. His remains, which there is a famous picture of, were displayed at his funeral, apparently according to his wishes so the officials could see what they had caused. we end up with is legend with a firm grounding in reality. (laughs) The space race was a fertile ground of unknown territory and nervous anticipatory nationalism that gave rise to stories like these and the propensity to believe them. Amazing things were happening. Why wouldn't they be real? Though the creepiest stories of lost cosmonauts don't stand up to scrutiny, they are bolstered by very real Soviet secrecy. Anything less than perfection was not tolerated, and it certainly wasn't shared with the world. Soviet reaction to any questioning of their official story about anything has always been to insist that they are the victim of hostility and defamation by those questioned. As we've seen, things did get covered up, and secrets were kept, so we probably can't know with certainty just what did happen in the Soviet space program. But the recordings and haunting, sensational accounts, well, they're grounded. That's Lost Cosmonauts, in a cramped, secret, orbital
3: nutshell.
1: There are lots of links with good information on this one if you want to look at it in more detail. I'll have them in the show notes. I gave more attention to some aspects than others, and there have even been literal hoaxes attempted. I didn't think they were that important when the real stuff is much more interesting. I'd suggest taking a look at Jim Oberg's books if you want to find out more. I mentioned Red Star in Orbit, and the other I found helpful for this episode was Uncovering Soviet Disasters. He's also done quite a few books explaining UFO sightings. He's an interesting guy, and to clear the palate a little bit and inspire some national pride, it's time for the triumphant launch of puns. If you're ever in Moscow and want a healthy snack, look for the Soviet-themed shop that specializes in selling cashews, almonds, pecans, and more. Cosmonuts. I was craving some cashews once and looked at the clock. It's almost 10 which is when they close i ran there and just managed to get in and grab a bag before they locked up i guess i made it in the sput nick of time thanks again for joining me in another journey into the unknown if you want to support the show please go over to itunes and leave me a five-star review i'd very much appreciate that and there's no better advertising than word of mouth so tell your friends tell your family like our page on Facebook. Don't forget to go over and join the Blurry Photos fan page on Facebook as well. Share your puns for this episode. Share some memes and some stanky-danky pictures. And just have a good time. Follow me on Twitter, Blurry underscore Photos. Follow on Instagram, Blurry Photos Podcast. Get yourself a free audiobook from audibletrial.com slash blurryphotos. And if you want to support the show, please consider becoming a patron of mine on Patreon.com slash BlurryPhotos. Tons of fun rewards on there. And at the $5 level, you get an extra episode every month. Don't forget you can get merchandise at BlurryPhotos.Threadless.com. Something like 16 different designs you can get on there. So definitely check that out. Thank you to the Chicago Podcast Cooperative and its fine fleet of saucy shows. For example, MBSing where host Mary Beth Smith cuts the BS out of conversation by discussing a topic her guest unabashedly loves, thus discovering why people love what we do and how that passion affects us. Again, that's MBSing, part of the Chicago Podcast Cooperative. Also thanks to the Dark Myths Collective, who are adding new members all the time. Tons of great shows on there to check out. And I think that'll do it for this episode of Blurry Photos. I have been Comrade David Flora.
2: Das zadania, to